0: Welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Foaming, and a half with, with, with me, as always, our co-host, Grant McGallagher. Grant, how are you this evening?
1: I'm doing fantastic, Parker. Had a good three-day weekend over Labor Day, and uh, just back to the grind, man. How about yourself?
0: Doing all right. The tragedy of uh, our current situation, um, one of the tragedies of our current situation is that they canceled Labor Day, so I did not have a three-day weekend, but I'm, uh, I'm quite oh. envious. Um, on on much uh you know got to get those classes in i guess uh on much mm-hmm. brighter note uh we have a, another great guest this evening we have bud elliott of 247 sports uh bud how are you thanks for joining us
2: god i'm glad to be on them i'm
0: doing pretty well yeah so we've been we've just kind of been you know trying to fill these holes of all right we we think there's gonna be football think there's gonna be football and then this week of course we uh we're excited to do our game week prep and tcu had some um We'll say abstractly some health issues, and so they have uh, suspended their game this weekend. So thanks for hopping on and giving us uh, some interesting football stuff to talk about uh, on a non-game week. Now, um, so but for for listeners who may not know you, um, you're at two four seven. Is it twenty four seven? I always go back and forth on that.
2: Yeah, it, it's 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 twenty four seven. So much more know, sense. It, yeah, <laughs> uh, the only thing it's the only thing it's not two four seven is uh, so our our top two hundred forty seven players. We, we we call that the top two four seven. Ah, okay. so there's maybe some brand confusion there
0: interesting sure, um, yeah well sure. so you um, you've been at uh, 24-7 for uh, over a year now
2: uh, no since uh, since uh, late February, late February. Uh, so I, I, I basically like came it. on I was there for almost a month and then we had COVID so ah,
0: very fun uh, not fun at all not fun at all um Cool. Well, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you are a a Florida State guy and a national guy. Um, And so I want to just talk to you a little bit just to to get your thoughts because I'm from Memphis. And so, uh, uh, you know, follow the program, pretty big Mike Norvell guy. What did you think about the Norvell hiring? What do you think about the summer he's had and how the Seminoles look going in the fall?
2: Yeah, so I I think the Norvell hire is a a pretty solid hire. Um, I mean, I'll start by saying you have to do some pretty special stuff to screw up the Florida State job, uh, just given the inherent advantages you have uh so I I would expect him to have success there over the long term I think you know the short-term variance and uh you know, some of the stuff that's maybe out of your control existing roster wise is a little bit tougher uh but Norvell seems just from getting to know him a little bit and, and knowing some guys on his staff uh I, I was struck by the passion of the guys who work for him uh and you know the, the passion of the guys who you know, didn't accompany him from Memphis they, they all really spoke highly of him, uh, very detail-oriented. They feel like he's an innovative guy uh, in terms of, of being able to creatively find uh, advantage matchups for his skill guys and, uh, you know, minimize sometimes that didn't always have the best offensive line play uh, there at Memphis. So that, that's certainly something Florida State fans are excited to hear. Maybe he can still produce a quality offense despite having a, a bit of a lacking offensive line. know, uh, seems to be a pretty energetic recruiter, and uh, uh, he's – His one of the things that kind of impressed me during the hiring process uh, was how many guys that he has directly hired uh, who have been hired away uh, uh, for promotions at at other jobs. Um, You know, Georgia Pluck, some Arizona State, a number of like good quality P5 jobs uh, have come calling for his assistance. And so that I think is an important uh, factor in being a head coach and one that is often difficult to evaluate if you're hiring a guy who has not had that much head coaching experience because just you know track record and the length of time uh that you have to build up that track record so i was kind of surprised and uh impressed uh, by that
1: yeah for sure and and norvell was always one of those guys i mean I, i liked watching his memphis teams um candidly didn't know a lot about the program but every time they were on tv i was entertained and like you said i haven't heard a bad word about him but you also kind of touched on um on your other aspect of the job, which is recruiting, and Novell's a pretty decent recruiter. What do you do at 24-7 Sports in terms of recruiting, and, and you know, how did you kind of find yourself in that corner of college football reporting?
2: Yeah, so uh, at, at 24-7, um, I'm the origination editor for football and recruiting, so that basically means I kind of come up with our uh, creative ideas. And that's, I don't come up with all of them. I, like Obviously, I have a great staff of, of writers who – uh, you know who, who come up with plenty of ideas uh, themselves and, and our analysts as well. Uh, but I sometimes I'll just kind of take a look at things and, and ask questions, hey, what what do we think about this? Hey, this is something that you really smart analysts might know that maybe average college football fan might not know can we expound on this right? As an example, uh, the number of commits flying off the board this <laughs> this spring and summer was just tremendously fast. I mean we were uh, almost double the the pace uh, at for for much of the summer it's slowed down some now because you're 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 limited by the number of spots that uh schools actually can offer uh so i i'm so i'm a, our origination editor uh in what was it i think april maybe early may uh they made me head of podcast so now i'm in charge of the podcasting uh setup over there uh, on the team site side uh and just making sure you know we're, we're kind of podcasting the way that i want our network podcast and that's, that's certainly a work in progress i mean they just launched that uh i think about a year ago for the most part on, on a lot of those websites so uh, that that's you know work in progress and then i'm also on the you know, the the, ra- the rankings council for 24 7 sports and i do some of our college ball gambling coverage and some of our writing so it's a fairly busy time uh of year mm-hmm. when when parker dm me he's like hey can you come on the podcast uh he's like eight o'clock i'm like eastern time no eight o'clock central yeah i should probably be done with the work day by then so <laughs> it's uh it's been a wild ride
0: yeah uh, well one again thanks for thanks for your time today and two uh yeah i mean it's it's like nice to have all of this but i understand it is it is definitely a, a grind i feel like the last like six months what the heck was i doing for everything that i'm trying to finish before the season officially starts right now i sat at home for six months and did absolutely nothing so um Okay, let's uh, let's get kind of specifics into um, rankings and ratings in, in general. So I think actually, uh, Grant, I'm gonna I'm gonna just pitch that to you and let you uh, ask your questions.
1: Well, no, but I, I know uh, you know, having followed your work, you know, SB Nation, for example, before you got and, and now at 24/7, you've you talked a lot about how important blue chips are, and and obviously we cover TCU we don't get blue chips very often. Um, And if they do, it's guys that are labeled unfairly or unfairly with character issues, all that stuff. But, but why is recruiting important is a dumb question, but how do you mark how well a program has recruited and what do you see as sort of the, um, the threshold for teams that can compete for a title uh, by by looking at the recruiting, uh, recruiting metrics?
2: Yeah. So I, I think this was about 2011 I, I started doing this, maybe 2012. I'm trying to remember the first year of the blue chip ratio. Uh, but essentially, I, I wanted to kind of just come up with the nice heuristic to communicate with, with the common fan that's not all that familiar with recruiting and just say, okay, like if you want to win a national title, what, what do you need? And so what I came up with was the blue chip ratio, which is pretty simple thing. You, over the previous four years, so essentially the recruiting classes that will make up your current roster for the most part you need to sign more four and five stars than two and three stars okay like that it's not a perfect thing right i do think it will be busted at some point most likely by somebody although i'm a little bit less convinced that it's going to get busted now that we're in the playoff era and in order to actually win the title you got to win two playoff games as opposed to kind of one you know bcs game uh and it's it's not it's not a good thing to use if you're trying to predict individual games or even like season win totals. It's not really good for that. It is just a necessary but not sufficient condition to winning a title. Like you need to check this box if you want to go on to win it all. If your goal is just to win a conference title, I don't think you necessarily have to check the box depending on what conference you play in. Of course, uh, you know if your goal is to make bowl games consistently or you know consistently win eight nine games, I think. You're extremely capable of doing so and in finding inefficiencies and inaccuracies within the recruiting rankings and exploiting those, right? Winning with development. But at the highest levels, when you have staffs that are, you know, have eight, nine, 10, 12 analysts, and we're assuming that most of the teams that are going to be at the top are also developing their players really well, the inputs matter a ton. You have got to just stack studs upon studs that you can you can survive the transfer market, you can survive injuries, you can survive variants and and you you know, you need to produce that, uh, you know, basically that that twenty two plus your your backups, who can survive the entire year and, and help you to win that title.
0: Definitely, and um and I think it almost uh you know like the uh, obviously there's some there's some uh, moving pieces in that because the type of recruit you get is largely correlated with coaching quality and infrastructure and historical success and all that um and so without you know making causal statements i think it's a good heuristic just to say hey these are teams that are probably going to be nationally competitive um, it, it helps you separate the you know the the kansas state hey we're going to do really well and win 10 games one year from the alabama we're going to win you know 10 games in our down year uh, kind of programs um, and so i think with the college football playoff it actually kind of cements it a little bit uh, more because that path for a random team to get in is all the more precarious just because there is some element of uh, arbitrary uh, arbitrary decision in, in allowing who gets into the playoff uh, on top of whatever is objective there. So um, yeah, I, 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 I'm really interested in it. My, my question I always come back to is, how are the recruiting rankings so dang good? Like you see these things about, you know, the number of percentage of percentage of five stars and four stars who get drafted. And even though it's easy to pick out those random people and say, Oh, but this five-star busted on the aggregate, the ratings are incredible. How does that, how does it happen?
2: So I, well, we, we, we do meet weekly, uh, like 52 meetings a year, basically. Well, we, we take off like two, three weeks, but there, there's about 50 meetings a year. Uh, they, they, they last you know, about two, three hours each week. You're breaking down film. People are assigned different guys to watch. Typically, you have you know two or three or four analysts watching an individual player they'll be if you have a disagreement that disagreement is marked and then will be brought up for discussion on the call Uh, a lot a lot of the feedback that you know we we provide is cross-referenced against feedback from trusted sources within the industry I mean you're like you're not publishing this because their coaches are not allowed to speak on the record about recruits but certainly there's some give and take right like they respect your opinion they know that you were often at a camp that they're not allowed to go to due to NCAA rules. And they, they want to know what you think about this kid or that kid. And, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You also need information from them. Hey, why have you guys not offered this player who we just brought up in the meeting last week, who we think you really like. And they're say, Oh, well actually, because, uh, we were told that he has like a 1.7 core GPA and it's not going to qualify or, uh, well, uh, we like his film, but when he came to our campus, he actually took the liners of his shoes and rolled them up and put them into his socks so that he could be two inches taller. And once we realized that he's actually five, six and, and not, you know, not five, eight. Right. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of, uh, of, of cross-checking that goes on both between analyst to analyst uh, and also between analysts and schools. Uh, it's especially important to do that before the school has the kid committed. So that's why we start early in the process because there's going to be some bias in favor of the players uh, that the school has committed to them because the coaches sometimes even have uh, bonuses in their contracts for, for signing highly rated classes, which I don't think is maybe as common anymore. But at one time you had a couple examples of that happening, which I thought was kind of you know wild before I worked for one of the, uh, for one of the rating services. I I was surprised at how much work goes into this and how much consistent work goes into this. I mean, there's, it's discussion every week i don't that's something we could probably do a better job of broadcasting you know um and and I, i think maybe we will going forward kind of broadcast that more like hey we're watching this hey we're watching this hey we already discussed this kid all right but yeah like now that we have new film on this kid let's go back and compare it to this kid even though we don't have new film on this kid like let's compare the new film to what we what we said about the prior guy uh that and then i also think uh, and I got to give a lot of credit to Barton Simmons about this because I I used to to throw ideas off him w- when I was still at SBN. Uh, I think you have to look back and and sort of try to figure out why you miss on certain kids over time and why the rankings are becoming better uh, than they used to be. And so I, I had identified a bunch of factors essentially uh, for you know why why two stars end up getting drafted. And there are certain categories that I feel like you just throw your hands up and you say okay can't project that right if we projected every kid to to grow six inches and gain 70 pounds we would lose our jobs because so that's just a statistical outlier but there are certain categories where i feel like uh we can do a better job as an industry and probably have in recent years compared to, to prior years and so that's how you make them better right so one thing that i noticed and i had spoken with barton about a couple times was kids who move a lot in high school have a greater chance of getting missed especially if you move region to region because – so I'm a Florida guy. I might have seen a guy in Florida. If he moves to Jersey and I don't text Brian Doan, hey, man, who's our, our you know, Northeast guy, if I don't text him, hey, look, dude, heads up, this kid I heard he's moving up there to Jersey to live, live with his grandma. Um, he was pretty good for me down here as a sophomore. You know, I'm not totally sold on him, just keep an eye out. If you don't have that kind of communication, and I think it's got to be more than text. It's got to be within your database and your spreadsheet on your back end to be able to alert the guy that this new dude's coming into your region, you know, then you could miss on a kid. So, for instance, I always always use Josh Allen, the, the pass rusher for mm-hmm. Kentucky, right? Um, he plays basketball in Jersey as a freshman. He moves down to Alabama to live with a family member. I don't think he plays basketball as a, or play, plays football as a sophomore. I think he's still basketball only at this point. He plays receiver as a junior in Alabama and, and did okay, right? But not like crazy good numbers. Moves back to Jersey, plays defense. And the only reason Kentucky even found out about him is because a guy on Kentucky's staff who was not even a coach, I think he was one of the analysts there at UK, uh, his brother was a high school coach in Jersey who faced Josh Allen and texted him, hey, I don't know who this kid is, but he tore our ass up. <laughs> right like but that's the kind of communication it takes hey man we have to like alert 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 this kid who had decent numbers in bam as a junior is now in jersey you know that yeah, that's yeah. one of the challenges you have of attracting this many kids and the fact that they're all growing and developing physically at different rates is is also a factor which is definitely tough.
0: that's um <laughs> that's super inefficient but that is nothing yeah. less than the profound weirdness i would expect from all of college football rooting uh, recruiting yeah. yeah that's hilarious um I think I also had one more comment because I'm a huge nerd, but uh, you said statistical outlier. I think um, recruiting is a really great example of how like, you know, formal statistical analysis and general like gut feeling kind of often overlap just because you're like, hey, normal distribution. I expect people to be mostly centered around this mean. I'm not going to predict someone to be super crazy to one side or the other. And so uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons the uh, ratings are, are good as well is just because there's such a good idea of like, hey, I'm not going to predict a kid to do something that no other kid has done no matter how excited I am.
1: Well, yeah, and Parker used a lot of big data words there. but but And, and as far as data points go, you know, it, I, I feel bad that we ask this question or a form of it every podcast by prefacing it with, well, in a COVID-19 world, right? But with the kind of weird high school season that we have now, how has the job of, you know, recruiting reporters like yourself, rating agencies changed? Because I know in Texas, you know, 5A and 6A schools haven't played it down yet whereas 4a schools are in their third week and i know across the country it's been a little weird so how has that been for y'all trying to adjust for the lack of data points for these kids who may have had a growth spurt going in their senior year or or or, you know what have you
2: it's been incredibly challenging um so we've done a couple things to try and be proactive about it one uh we we found that we're like hey let's let's just try this. Okay. So for this meeting, we're going to watch one position only, right? Because we really feel that if you have a lack of data points, you need to draw every little bit of data out of the data that you do have to be able to find differences. So we would sit there and we would watch, you know, 125 receivers. And what you notice is that if you go position by position, little stuff starts to pop. Right. And if you're watching 25 guys in a row, all of a sudden the 26th guy, man, if he jumps off the screen at you, you kind of perk up You're like, "Ooh, OK, wait a second. This guy looks a lot more like the guys that we already have rated up here as opposed to kind of where we have, have him rated. So that's one thing we've been doing. Right. So like one day we'll talk about a, a certain position and the next week we'll talk about, you know, a, a different position. And that's if you talk about that for two hours, for three hours, that's a fairly like intensive process. Uh, especially if you don't need to talk about every single kid every week, right? There's some dudes we just know. It's like, all right, like, you know, we, we know who our top three are at this point unless somebody who we later discuss today is going to jump into this. Uh, at, at the receiver position, for example, um, we don't really need to go over these three guys again unless they give us a new film. We've already seen them in person. We've seen them in, in games in person in addition to camps. We have verified numbers on them from the camps they went to or from, you know, the schools that we know uh, are you know, pretty, pretty accurate as far as that stuff goes. And they, they don't usually blow smoke. Um, so that's been one way we've been able to, to you know, to do it. Um, being very open-minded as far as what we're willing to evaluate. I think some of our guys have probably watched more basketball film than they've ever watched just to try to get a greater feel for athleticism. Um, if a kid has a workout video, a lot of times I think in prior years that probably gets ignored because look, man, we're going to see you work out at a combine that has a defined setting. And we'll have verified numbers on that. Now, if you have some really crazy freaky workout video that you really think pops, there's a better chance, I think, than prior years. And I wasn't on the rankings of prior years. I've only been here, you know, half a year. I think the chance that, that actually gets watched now is greater than it used to be uh, during COVID. So that's been something we've had to, uh, to address. Um, Obviously right now we're focusing on kids who are actually playing games and we will give greater focus to kids who are playing their games later later in the cycle. I don't know that our final rankings are going to come out in January this year. It might not make sense to do it if you have a quarter of the country uh, waiting to play, right? Yeah. Um, has there,
0: but Has minded- anybody talked about, any talk about NCAA moving signing day because of all this?
2: this is, I, I keep trying to figure this out and none of the coaches have heard anything. Um, I what I think, and this is just pure speculation. I don't Especially. think that at this, yeah, exactly. <laughs> at this point, they will not, I don't think, move early signing period. Okay, they might, I think they should consider moving traditional signing period to like late March or early April. Um, d- due to COVID, uh, not necessarily a permanent change, but I, I really. If I was running it, I would probably just kill early signing period for this year and just say, okay, if you have the credits to enroll early, do so, and if you don't and you're going to be a summer enrollee, just go ahead and wait anyway so that everybody can kind of be evaluated based on their senior seasons, if they even choose to play their senior season, which some kids are saying, no, I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm not going to play my senior season, although for the most part, that's kids who are already committed and, and know where they're going to enroll.
0: Yeah, which also we see kind of happening at the college level, like Suel at uh, I probably botched your name, but at Oregon, where it's like, man, what do you have to What do you have left to prove? Go work out, get a sponsorship, get drafted. So some of these kids are probably in the same situation in high school. Um, and
2: USC's best guard tonight, uh, like two minutes before we click record. Yeah.
0: Oh dang. Um, yeah, which I, I totally understand. I wouldn't. Yeah, that that's a totally understandable decision given the circumstances. Um, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna vaguely kind of pivot our attention a little more narrowly and kind of work our way towards TCU. So, but I DM'd you this and I am unsatisfied. So I want some more answers here. Um, All right. As you know, um, Max Duggan has a heart condition and is out uh, indefinitely right now. Max Duggan, TCU's. Uh, sophomore quarterback who did not have the world's best freshman year, but uh, we think very highly of, and um, we'll talk about him later. But so Matt Downing is going to play for him. Matt Downing is an unrated recruit. He went to Georgia, uh, walked on, and then transferred to TCU. Uh, His older brother is uh, played here and was a coach here or a graduate assistant here. So my question is, why didn't Matt Downing get two stars? Why was he unrated as opposed to getting two stars? What's the difference between we're going to rank this kid and we're not going to rank this kid at all?
2: Sure. So, for the most part, we, we we do try to put rankings on kids, but we're aware that like we're not going to get rankings on all kids. Uh, I will say the the majority of our effort is going to be focused on finding kids who are you know likely to be scholarship level players, right, at at, at the FBS level or like really good FCS level players. Um, but as far as the between two stars and unrated there's i think there's two elements to this number one a lot of it is probably like did we see you in person you know as, as we act actually vouched for you like we know you actually truly exist as a recruit and as a, as a person obviously there's been some uh incidents in the past not with us i don't believe but at maybe other services where they ranked a fake recruit so uh you really want to make sure that you ver- like you actually know that this guy actually exists and is real and is not one of these fake uh, catfishing type profiles. Uh, so that's one. The other thing I-, I would say is that most of your effort is going to be uh, invested in the rankings, which like, if you get wrong, it's going to make you look inaccurate. If you give a guy two stars as opposed to zero stars, uh, you'd rather be accurate. You'd rather give him the two if he deserves two as opposed to zero, right? Because zero doesn't mean we think you can't play, and two doesn't mean we we think you're you're awesome. It just means, like, you know, by our definitions that we have on on the site there, there is obviously a difference. But I think the main difference is, like, did we see you? Does somebody actually have a real opinion of you? Um, And occasionally guys slip through the cracks. I will say the numbers seem to be getting a lot better as far as the number of guys who get drafted who are unrated. You know, like occasionally it does happen. I actually put them into buckets. The majority of them recently have been kids who were not football players in high school or who played internationally, uh, where obviously if you go out on a limb and throw four stars on an international kid, if you haven't seen them, that's a little bit risky. You know, two stars is is less risky. Um, But I think the main thing there, and I'll I'll be frank with you, we have not really gotten into the two-star unrated – process yet i think that actually comes more towards the end of the cycle right because right now we're trying to find the very top kids and then the next level and the next level after that so i mean i've been here for seven months I, I should probably ask barton a little more on that but as far as i understand i think a lot of it's like have we seen you in person you know have we actually had a chance to know who you are and and, and see you Did downing have any did he have any scholarship offers coming out that they so- picked georgia walking on over
0: I looked the other day. I think he only got FCS offers, okay. and was PWo at uh, at Georgia. Um, Did he grow post Georgia or, or
2: post signing? Like, is is he still five eleven? Yeah, 480? he is. No, he's listed. I think at he's six. bigger than five
0: eleven. No, I, mm, He's officially listed at bigger than five eleven. Sorry, he's listed. He's listed cool. at six foot. That's too cynical. Sorry, he's listed at six oh, foot, okay. so he grew. No, okay, yeah. that
1: he's five eleven. No, you're right. You're right. He's five eleven. Yeah, okay. he's listed at six foot. He's five eleven. Okay, gotcha. I mean,
2: now I'm actually curious because I, I don't remember him uh, in in high school. I'm not even sure if he was at any of these camps that that we go to. I'm looking in my 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 Gmail for the old rosters that get sent, and and I'm not I'm not seeing him come up. So I don't think I ever saw him at a camp. And I was at you know quite a few. Uh,
0: yeah, so he got or, he got an offer from Montana like? He got an offer from Montana State and an offer from Southern Illinois.
2: Um oh, a guy I golf with played uh, played safety for SIU
0: actually. Um I watched his film and I'm not bad. a film analyst, but it was like, okay, you're doing the things you do, but you don't really have like a big body and I doubt the quality of the competition. Um yeah, so I don't I don't know.
2: I'm look I'm looking at his um looking at, at his at his stats. Uh so as a senior um 58% completions it's not great it's just not special right like mm-hmm. i mean like you got to the film is key you can't you can't just scout stat because who you play with matters uh, quite a bit 24 to 5 on the touchdown inter- interception ratio i mean qb rating kind of barely over 100 it that's not a a statistical profile that really pops yeah for me yeah. Yeah, especially – and so if you take that, you combine – I don't really think he was at the camps. Was was football his major sport? Was he also a baseball guy, something, something that might have limited his
1: exposure? As far as I know, it was his major sport. I, I, I don't know, actually. Him. Wow.
0: Um, I, I think he's only football – I think he's Coach's kid, and so I think he's only football. Um, but, yeah, because um, the reason I ask that is just like, okay, if I'm hypothetically uh, uh, on the fence, two-star or unrated kid, right – and I'm only getting offers from FCS schools, and I want to go walk on and earn a scholarship at a Power 5 school, I would rather be unrated because I don't want the signal of a two-star. Like, unrated at least gives me the plausible signal of, I slipped through the cracks, no one really appreciated my film, I have a high upside. Two-star feels like someone judged me, and they gave me this label, and that's going to do worse for my long-term prospects. But from what I hear, you're saying, that's there's there's really no mechanism for that to happen. That's not really an issue.
2: Yeah, it's exactly uh i did actually find a photo from him at a nike camp i don't know which nike camp this was or what year it was from but it's it's on his profile i don't i don't know what year that was 401 but he's got a tcu towel on
0: Good. his older that, brother played it? his older brother played and is a, uh, a, a ga or an offensive analyst now at yeah at TCU. that's where he got yeah. it got it yeah okay. so that's that's a family um, thing yeah
2: did he play all, did he play all, his entire career at at Alpharetta, I assume. Yes. 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 Okay. Yep. Got it. Yep. So we we, yeah, we can kind of strike the whole you know um, thing. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I, I now now I'm actually intrigued. I uh, the guy we had doing our southeast stuff is not here anymore. Uh, but I can ask our 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 UGA guys about him. Like he may I, have been been a I mean, guy that just. Uh, the other thing you'll see once in a while is. If a kid knows he's going to walk on somewhere, and especially like sometimes if the family you know, has money and they know they're going pay to their, pay their own way, and like, he understands he's probably not good enough to get a scholarship from that school, but he actually wants to, uh, to go walk on there. The school can't officially recruit him, but you can kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, prefer to walk on relationship the kid. Right. And if, I'm not saying that's the case with, with Matthew, but if it is, other schools will kind of get the hint. like, all right, hey, man, like, this is a Georgia family. He wants to go to UGA, like, to, you know, walk on. Um, And if he kind of gives that that hint early enough, then, you know, like, maybe they don't recruit him quite as much.
1: Right. Well, there is one quarterback that that was a good recruit coming out of high school that, that wound up at TCU. And while he may not be playing this week, but it is time to play our favorite game. Mr. Elliott, would you like to say something nice about Max Duggan?
2: I would, man. He's. I was a big fan. Um, I. I got to see him in oh, eleven. The answer, great. Yeah, I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to see him in Elite eleven. Uh, uh on, on you know with, with a, a decent field around him. Not it wasn't the best field out, out of you know all of the years we've ever had. We were obviously coming off a pretty cool year in which we had Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields, and J.C. Daniels, which was, you know, uh, right. pretty solid. Um, so the drop off to the next year. Uh, was was kind of substantial and then a couple of guys who are college stars now didn't really have the best events uh, at the time like daniels and, and howell uh but uh you know what what stood out to me about that duggan was was he was actually a four-sport guy right um if i recall it was football baseball tr- track and basketball i think I think that's right. Yeah. He wasn't a wrestler. I think he, I think no. it was those four. No.
0: Although with Iowa, you never know. They might, they might yeah. sneak. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good
2: point. Yeah. You know, so we, we see two sport guys and occasionally we occasionally see three sport guys. I don't usually see four sport guys. Um, The other four sport guy that I really remember is a dude named uh, Shaki Jacques Louis, who's a receiver for Pitt. He also is their kick returner. He was a, a left fielder, a point guard, and also ran the hurdles Um, in addition mm-hmm. to being, being a receiver. Just, you know, Good athlete, use the range in baseball. Uh, And Duggan was not the most polished dude. But in looking into his background, I was very impressed at where he was relative to the other quarterbacks at that event, given that most of these dudes had private quarterback coaches, had uh, a lot of experience playing travel seven-on-seven ball. And I thought about it, and some of the guys we've seen who are multi-sport dudes who were not able to to focus solely on football uh, coming up, their their growth curves were were a little bit steeper and once they started focusing just on football they really picked up um you know like for instance Jameis winston was Mm -hmm. a pretty damn good high school quarterback but didn't really play travel seven on ball because he was playing baseball all the time and you know at one point he was thought to be a better baseball player than than a football player um because he could throw like you know mid-90s so That really impressed me, and I thought, okay, like this is not a guy who's going to start for them as a freshman and do anything because he is raw. Uh, But relative to the other guys who already had like a a developmental edge as far as time investment and probably also dollars investment with the private quarterback coaches and the travel seven on and that kind of stuff and just focusing on football nonstop, I thought the gap was uh, was encouragingly small. Uh, And so it it sucks that we're not going to be able to see him early on this year. You know, assuming that he was making good strides for TCU, which you know, you guys would know better than I would. But I, I was I was pumped to see him, man. So on Barton and Bud the, the podcast, I know Barton was was a big fan of, of Duggan as well. So
0: I love that. I think that's been our argument all along about Max Duggan. It's like he's you know, he four sport athletes so didn't have those that, that as much time. And then freshman year was supposed to redshirt probably for two years behind Justin Rogers and or Sean Robinson and then compete his junior senior year, kind of be that four year guy and kinda got thrown into a situation where it was like oh, not only do you have to play, there's literally no one else on the depth chart that can throw a football. So, saw a lot of his athleticism trying to um, run for his life at times last year, mm-hmm. the TCU offense. So, um, kind of continuing that that thread, let's pivot a little bit to the Big 12. Um, and and I just want to know your opinion, bud. Who, who are kind of the movers and shakers, obviously outside of Oklahoma, but I want to hear your thoughts on that, in the Big 12? Who are the interesting non-TCU teams in the Big 12 for you? Yeah, so I... I think this is a pretty
2: wide open year in the big 12. Barton and Bud podcast podcast with Barton. We just got done uh, doing our big 12 discussion. And uh, unfortunately the TCU talk was not super long because we were just kind of bummed that, that, you know, that Duggan uh, yeah. is at least not going to play at the start of the year. Um, so I think Kansas deserves to be in the basement. Uh, I, I have some guys who, uh, you know, have coached the players on Kansas right now. I don't want to say if they're still on staff or not, because obviously they might give it away. But uh, I think Kansas really lacks defensive speed. Um, that also is backed up by their numbers. If you see a team that is uh, – like if you pull up Kansas in – you know I, I know you guys do do a lot of the staff stuff. Uh, but Kansas last year, 128th in, uh, in defensive efficiency, but – 24th in iso ppp allowed that's basically just admitting hey we're just going to play kind of an umbrella shell defense and mm-hmm. hope that maybe a ball hits off one of your receivers hands and we, we can pick it up because we don't have the speed to run with you and we also don't have any uh pass pressure so other than that we're, we're, we're really good so I, I think kansas belongs in the basement this year um i i I'm a little bit higher on, on Texas Tech than some people are, even though I think their defense has some real questions with, with all the transfers they brought in. Um, West Virginia, I, I think Neil Brown will do, do a good job there. Uh, I, they still have some questions on the offensive line. Last year, their offensive line early on looked like it looked a total disaster. I was, I was about ready to kind of raise the flag on that, but they improved throughout the year, and I, I think that Brown is a, is a quality coach. Uh, and once they got the quarterback situation at least a little bit figured out, I feel like that helped. So I kind of think the middle class of the Big 12 is is like five teams who could all finish realistically anywhere between five and nine. Mm-hmm. Personally, like if you told me you guarantee me Baylor finishes five or you guarantee me Baylor finishes nine, I'm kind of like, yep, yeah, that's fine. I, I could see that happening. You know, maybe nine's a little a little, a little, uh, a little aggressive on the downside. But are you guys actually that that confident? I mean, you started this conference probably more than I do. Are you that confident that like you you're good to tell me exactly who's going to finish five through nine? I feel like it's just kind of a hodgepodge uh, of a lot of coin flips.
0: Yeah. I, no, so I, I think I'm going with senior quarterbacks. And so like, I think I'm saying six through eight, just because like Brewers probably Baylor's probably going to be at the top of that, but they have a lot of question marks. So um, yeah, I don't know. Grant, what do you think?
1: No, I I think it's really easy to pick a top three and then like four through Eight are up for grabs. I would say I, I would have. So, is your I, top I, three I was, Oklahoma State or Iowa State? Mine is Oklahoma State. Okay, and I because I, I'm lower on Iowa State than a lot of people are, and, and that's that's fine. We'll see what happens. But I'm high on Oklahoma of,
0: State. Speaking of terrible offensive lines, um, but Iowa the State thing is so bad. Have you seen the split
2: between their run their run numbers and their pass numbers? I have, I,
0: well, but, but so, but none of those, uh, this is the question. I don't, I don't, uh, I was shocked. Those all account for like pretty scrambling. So that's not like really. That's fair. And he's a numbers.
2: good, he's, he has really good pocket presence and, and does does manage to evade, evade pressure. Well, but.
0: Oh my still. gosh. They were 80th in EPA per rush and ninth in EPA per pass last, last year. That's I, didn't what know, I'm saying. I didn't know it was that dramatic. That's impressive. all right.
2: And, and check it out. So the passing down sack rate, so like the, the downs that we assume he probably didn't scramble quite as often on because it, like you actually have to sit in there complete the pass, they were third in passing down sack rate allowed nationally, uh, but a hundred and third in stuff rate allowed against the run. Oof. Like third versus hundred third is is almost like typo range. You, you, you yeah.
0: want to investigate that? That's board. gotta be that's gotta be some weird scheme thing or something. Like yeah, that's gotta be some low hanging fruit they were able to like find on film and, and correct over the off season or something. Yeah. Uh, just because um, that's so dramatic.
2: That, that's, that's pretty cool. We, we actually, uh, we had one with Georgia Tech tonight. This is way off, way off the rails. But, uh, Go for it. Where's I don't it? know. Yeah, so Georgia Tech, uh, I've never seen this. I don't think I've ever seen anything close to this. Sack rate allowed on standard downs, 10th nationally, 2.4%. Sack rate allowed on passing downs, 125th nationally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Is actually, I think, explainable, right? It's – yeah. Yeah. If, team, if teams had to respect any sort of t- like, like type of threat of the run from a former triple option team, they were able to kind of you know buy some time to throw the ball. Once you got to basically you know third and six, they didn't have to care about the run fake, and these guys couldn't mm-hmm. pass block worth the lick, uh, and their quarterback threw for forty four percent last year, so not great. Uh, not, so, not what you want. Fifteen percent <laughs> sack rate allowed on passing down. Gosh, that's.
0: That's just terrible. Yeah, gosh.
1: Oh, man. 15%. 15.4. Yeah. So uh, uh, So I one went out in, of every eight times. Oh, yeah.
0: I went and charted this again, and I should have done the rate. I can look it up. But I, I went and charted because TCU's uh, tackle, Luke, Lucas Niang, got hurt, and the Texas game was his last game. And before he went out, TCU was averaging like 11 quarterback hits per game. And after he went out, they were averaging, like, 22 in the last half of the season. That it just dramatically – like, I did a little graph. I think I put it on Twitter. It was like, okay, flatline, whatever, and then just completely, like, took off. That's like um, DeAndre Francois style. Yeah, yeah. Just like mm-hmm. – you're, just, you're <laughs> running for your life at that point. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, quarterback. Um, okay, so that, that got a little statsy, and that's a great segue to, I think, our, our final question before we do, a couple from uh, Twitter. So um, – but I really love your um, – your kind of post-game recaps where you say here's what happened in every game um, and you focus on a couple key metrics. So I'm just going to do that broadly and say, like, what metrics are you looking at in the box score? Why do you think they're important? How, um, how predictive do you think they are in, tell- in terms of telling you, you know, who to look at next week as a potential upset or a potential um, bust against the spread?
2: Yeah, so I, I do a thing called Evergame Review. This year we're actually going to do it by conference too. So I'm, I'm going to link them each. And so we'll have an Evergame Review, Big 12, ACC, SEC, and then G5 because uh, there's not enough, tra- like, you know, web traffic interest to do, you know, AAC and, uh, and Sunbelt, you know, breakouts. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look, just working w- with, with Bill C for over a decade at SB Nation, um, I'm kind of just programmed to look at the five factors in, in my head yeah. as I'm scanning a box score and I'm doing it pretty quickly. And um, one thing that, that I feel like oftentimes tells a story – much better than the final score is by what percentage did you beat your opponent in terms of yards per play? Um, so I'll look at that. I will look at turnovers, obviously. Um, that's an example. So let, let, let's go ahead and take UAB against central Arkansas last week. UAB actually outgained them uh, on a per play basis before garbage time, which is another factor. I, I want to you know really just focus on what happens pre garbage time. And I think Bill's definition of that is, is, Pretty liberal, right? So like the games go a long time before we officially get into garbage time. So you're getting a large sample uh in there. But uh I think UCA had under three yards of play against that UAB defense before garbage time. Uh they were the beneficiary of some uh some flukish and then some just excellent you know turnover forcing uh by you know by their own defense. Uh, and I think was it a special teams turnover that UAB might have had, I think. But in any case, they had touchdown drives pre-garbage time. UCA did of zero, four, and fifteen yards. That is not repeatable skill. Their other drives were complete nonsense, and it mm-hmm. showed up the fact that they had two point nine yards per play. You know, pre-pre GT. Uh, so that is something that, that that I'll look at, and I'll say wait, I, I like to highlight games that are misleading scores, or especially misleading finals. Uh, is is something you know pretty interesting to me. I also like to take it and compare the stats to my eyeballs. So in watching SMU and Texas State, I thought Texas State quarterbacks quarterback is it, uh,
1: Dinwiddie or whatever
2: the heck that kid's no, name is. No, uh, it's
1: Mac. Uh, it's Mac something. Um, hold on one sec. I think it's Mac something. So I'll, 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 I'll vamp
2: while, while you while you look this up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he sure. was ex- he was kind of it's exciting uh, in that game, and I I was like okay, but then I looked at his numbers and like he really wasn't very effective. He was just like exciting to watch, but I, so I thought. That, thought that was important to note in the game notes um, that that I do there. So again, you know, yards Brady, per play. Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, Brady McBride. The Brady McBride. Name, I'm
2: gonna give him some shout. Yep. There we go. Yep. Um, w- one thing that that I, I I'll, I'll give Parker credit for this because he, he's pointed this out. Uh, I, I do like to look at what percentage of your yards came on like one play, two play, three plays like that because. I mean that can be a like explosive plays matter, but are they super repeatable? Uh, I I do think that teams have an ability to repeat explosive plays. I don't think they have the ability, and Parker's shown this, I'm pretty sure, to repeat the magnitude of those, those explosive plays. Like certain guys are better at scheming open big plays. I don't know that they're better at scheming open 70 yarders, you know, compared to just you know 25 yarders.
0: Yeah, one would imagine if you could run the 70-yard play at will, you would <laughs> do that. Um, yeah, well, and, and like, that's a great point too, just because, I mean, there's only so many yards you can get on a certain play. So like, there's an inherent limit on your big play. So yeah, I love that kind of, I, I, I've called it like a trimmed mean or something like value yards or even looked at a genie coefficient, like the inequality. But yeah, I love that one too. Uh, mostly so, because it's the Chuba Hubbard one where I'm like, Chuba Hubbard didn't own TCU. There were two plays that went bad and the rest of it he did terrible.
2: Exactly. Um, And that's one of my challenges is keeping this simple enough for an audience that is oftentimes largely Facebook driven. Right. And so like I try to keep the terms as simple as possible. So I'll write things like, you know, the final score was this, however uh, you know, UAB on a per play basis, have gained them by 45%. uh, And central Arkansas was very lucky in having three short fields that were turnover, uh, you know, resulting blah 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 Uh, I I do try to mix a little bit of non-stats in there too Um, for instance I I noted that uh, Memphis outplayed Arkansas State pretty well in in the box score Uh, however Arkansas State was able to scheme guys open consistently and had several key drops on would-be explosive plays I think they had three drops Mm -hmm. actually on explosive plays Or, or plays where I thought the guy was pretty open so if you catch two of those the box score does look a little bit different. And then that, that one kid almost made that incredible catch for, for Arkansas State in the end zone, uh, but, uh, but failed to come down with it. But, like, those, those are things that, that, that I look at. And then I, I, what I kind of try to do process-wise, I, I, I have the five factors in my head, and I'm just thinking, all right, get to the point to where the stats match up with the final score and then move on mm-hmm. so occasionally i might miss something because i'm not going fully through the process on each one but if you're trying to look at and write about you know 50 games in a weekend <laughs> you, you may do it so sometimes i'm just like hey the final this is a blowout let's let's just present the pre-garbage time numbers and let's move on like this yeah. is just total domination
1: <laughs> right well and, and kind of on that note too it, transitioning a bit to twitter questions is there anything you're doing different? Uh, this is from Nate Manzo at CFP. Nate, are you going to change your approach with Vegas due to the crazy nature of this season, or have you yes. tried to work anything in with, yeah, yeah, no, a I lot def- of unders or or what?
2: Well, uh, I do think that um, I'm okay. A couple things: if you return a boatload of experience on offense, I'm giving you a small a small bump because mm-hmm. you didn't have a spring practice, you didn't have like the summer seven on seven, which. I don't think it means everything, but it's not nothing. And I think continuity right. matters more on offense than it does on defense. Somebody really smart once told me that defense is more of a collective individual effort, whereas offense is more of an actual team game. And that that makes sense a lot of sense to me. Uh, so I'm, I'm valuing offensive returning production maybe more than I would. A good example that uh, I would give you is I think North Carolina is a team that I would normally fade because I'm not convinced they were that good last year, but – I trust Phil Longo, their coordinator, and they return almost everybody on the offensive line, and we've heard good reports about their starting offensive line, although I think if they get hurt, their depth is real sketchy behind it. So I think UNC is going to be ready to roll early this year, and, and I I, you know, I mean, Vegas agrees. Like The spread is 23 against Syracuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the fact
0: have, I have to point out that Sam Howe basically lived in Mac Brown's basement this entire offseason, so uh, I think they're definitely going to be good this year.
2: And uh, yeah. Sam's dad uh, what's Sam's dad's first name I've, I forgot but uh, he's a successful high school coach in North Carolina. so like if UNC's mm-hmm. staff sends over hey, can you guys work on this this and this if Sam doesn't get it the first time like the dad probably also gets it and can you know can, can help him uh, with that stuff uh, other stuff I'm doing normally I think it it makes a lot of sense if you are a player who is not betting, like five figures on a game to bet early in the season and early, especially in the week. Right. And really Mm -hmm. like achieve that line value. We would consistently get two, three, four points of line move value per game. And sometimes I'll cross key numbers too on on our Sunday betting show that we did last year. This year, I don't know if I want to do that as much because there's a lot of variance and, and like, who's going to come down with COVID stuff. I, I, I'm, I have a position on UAB and I had a little mini heart attack today because UAB announced they had some guys who were going to be held out due to COVID. And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, am, am I just dead in the water here? And they said, oh, it's no starters. I like, well, okay. Let's, let's let it ride. Uh, so more in-game wagering. I think that uh, you can actually marry your eyes with the stats more this year on in-game wagering, uh, second-half wagering. If you're actually taking the time to watch the game, you can kind of say, okay, this matches up or, ooh, man, like this looks really weird. I need to reconsider this. Like Navy the other night, I, I I took a position on Navy under twenty one team total in live wagering uh, after the first two drives, and that was simply because mm-hmm. it looked like Navy had not practiced at all. Like they didn't they didn't look crisp, which is very weird for a service academy option team, and they were just getting their ass kicked up front physically. It's like okay, this this is going to be problematic, and now that BC, now that BYU knows they can run, it's going to try and you know basically run the football, mm-hmm. which will run the clock, and uh, limited possessions. Now, ultimately, BYU had so many explosive runs that the, <laughs> the, the game went over, but Navy's team total uh, in live stayed under. And the final thing I, I will say I'm doing this year is I am playing a lot more alternate lines at plus odds. So those are essentially formulated based on a normal distribution of scores relative to what the spread is. Okay. If you looked at the absolute error in some of these prediction models in Week One, kind of huge. Mm-hmm. And I think Vegas was within this was within a touchdown of the spread either way in only thirty percent of games over the weekend, and only uh, within a touchdown of the over under uh, within two of nine over the weekend. So wow. they didn't have a handle on these games at all, and that's like I've, this is something I've, I've tracked, that's not normal. They usually like are within a touchdown either way a lot more, like, you know, considerably more than that. Uh, in fact, there are normally very few games in, in which they're like three scores off. And this weekend we had we had quite a few. Uh, so if we assume that, that the variance early in this COVID season is going to be greater because we don't have a handle on it, I think there is a, uh, an opportunity to take advantage of alternate lines where normally you're giving away value because they're, they're pretty heavily juiced in both directions in this circumstance, I will kind of be willing to allow for some of that, uh, in order for, for the larger payoff, because I feel like the chance they hit is greater than what the, the normal range implies. You know, if you played both Navy minus a touchdown and BYU minus a touchdown for like, you know, four to one, Mm -hmm. you know, that just an, just an example there. Um, and and like I'm even open to doing it on both sides of the game at times. Mm-hmm.
0: That's like um that's like options straight like an options trading people do like a butterfly kind of strategy. So that's 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 actually like a well proven, well documented. Uh, well, I guess the stock market is just betting. Yeah. So right. it's It's well. Although if you do that, that in strategy. a normal
2: year, you would lose your ass. Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But oh, in yeah. a year yeah, where yeah. we don't know
2: what's gonna happen, like yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I got you. Okay, that's super interesting. Um, but let's get to one or two more of these questions and then we'll and then we'll uh let you go be done with the workday for real. Um so one question, our friends at the 1012 ask, uh, what's more likely? Mass wave of decommits in the 2021 class or a mass wave of transfers from people who signed in 2021?
2: Ooh, so I thought it was gonna be decommits, but now I think it might actually be transfers. Um Simply because I think COVID is going to create some homesickness in, in these kids. We, we've already seen a lot of kids from the 2020 class who have signed, never even enrolled, and you know decided to kind of just transfer out already. Nebraska's Nebraska has lost like I think three or four Florida kids already from from their their highly regarded 2020 class. If if, if recruiting visits don't open up in time, I, I think you're going to see these kids signing with the schools at which they elected to reserve their spot earlier this summer for the most part. Like if visits open up, then I think the answer will be decommits. If visits do not open up, I think the answer will probably be transfers. There has to be some catalyst for these kids to actually decommit. And if they don't get to see the school that they're going to flip to, then there will be no flip probably. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it it does. I've thought about
2: this and it's just the timing of when the visits happen, if they happen at all, is going to be crucial.
1: Yeah. I mean, everything's up in the air and like, you never know. Yeah, I got you. But one thing is not up in the air and this may be the most important question. We'll ask you uh, all evening from Josh Pate at Lake kick. Josh, why does bud tout his homemade cold brew recipe, but refuse to send samples to anybody?
2: (laughs) Oh, all right. So here's the, the, the Josh Pate coffee story. And I don't know if you guys follow, follow Josh on on Lake kick on the YouTube. He's, he's a great dude. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think Josh had ever worked in like a corporate office before. And we had like one of these fancy coffee machines at 24 seven and like we were talking and he had explained to me that like for a while, he basically didn't know that the coffee machine had options. So he was just hitting the first option, which was an espresso shot. And so in order to fill up the coffee cup, he had to hit it repeatedly. <laughs> and like Pate isn't lacking for energy anyway. And so I was like, so you're kind of telling me that you were drinking like Dixier <laughs> 7 Espresso? He's like, yeah, basically. Uh, so then I showed him how to kind of select the options and we got to talk about coffee. And uh, I just told him, yeah, man, I I do the uh, I do the cold brew one. Um, so it's, I, I, I'm, I'm making it at the house. I don't even know what the measurements are anymore on it. I just know like exactly on the grinder kind of eyeball where I fill it to. Um, and then, and then I, I it, it is a, a coarse grind, right? Uh, and then, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I, I do that. I, I use the uh, is it the Filtron? I think the 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 it's like a, a black two level one. Yeah. Um, and I actually add a different element to it. Uh, I, I used to work in a restaurant, so I you, know, you see those big coffee filters, the like the white ones that uh, mm-hmm. they use for like the commercial things. I just get one of those on Amazon, and so I I, I place that under, uh, under the grinds. So it actually takes out all, all like, like the gunk as far as, you know, in, in the bottom of your cold brew, which makes more of it drinkable. And then the cleanup is super easy. So I don't, you know, uh, so I just do that. But, uh, I, I'm not, it is, it is okay. pretty strong though. I will say like, like I, I, cut it, the, uh, the cold <laughs> brew. Um, but I don't know. Do you, do
1: you
0: guys ever send, send like uh liquids or never through sent, the mail
1: I've, I've never sent coffee through the mail no i've had
0: a friend send me beer wrapped up in like a um like you know if you sent a lamp and it would have it came with a light bulb and they kind of have the cardboard wrapping so oh, he like right. sent me a lamp box and he like stuck beers in the in the boxes on the side where the light bulbs would go but i've never sent cold beer i think you, you could ups it who knows yeah, um I, I, these these days they they'll ship anything yeah. yeah um cool well but this is this is awesome man thanks so much for for being here um tell tell our listeners where they can find you um on twitter on the internet and uh otherwise
2: yeah guys so uh 247sports.com on twitter at bud three and then parker and i go back and forth quite a bit on there and then on the podcast side uh, barton and bud is uh is our premier show uh, th- that i want to promote um if you want just straightforward state stuff we we still do the nolcast two three times a week uh so you know if you have if somehow you're a tcu fsu crossover fan you can catch me there but yeah mainly just 24 7 sports but elliott three and uh, barton and bud that's uh we're, we're really excited about the barton and bud um we, we actually we're we're gonna hit 550 reviews before we do 30 shows so i'm um, i'm really awesome. pumped about that
0: that's awesome, man. Yeah, I've listed a couple episodes. We'll link that Big 12 preview. I haven't gotten to that one yet too, but I'm, I'm excited too. So we'll, we'll link that in the show notes and on Twitter as well. Um, well, great. Uh, our guest has been Bud Elliott of 24-7 Sports and we've enjoyed it a lot. Um, make sure that you follow, rate, subscribe, review all that nonsense. Uh, Grant and I on Twitter. Make sure you're signed up for the Purple Theory newsletter on Sunday. Great. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you all next week.